0: this morning's Bible reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bible I believe it's page 304. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bala, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of god which is called by the name of the lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim and they carried the ark of god on a new cart and brought it out of the house of abinadab which was on the hill and uzzah and Ohio, the sons of abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of god and Ohio went before the ark And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark." And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Periz Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the house of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, The Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David, the ark of the Lord, and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house." And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all the house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people Of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I should be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death.
1: Sorry. Good morning. Thank you, Jim, for reading. It has uh, been—it's been really nice to hear the voice of our brothers and sisters reading these scriptures each Sunday. It's been 12 Sundays, and we've got—I think—we're going into October. So, uh, it is evidence that God is has made all things new, right? Because if we are in Christ, we are new creations, and this is evidence of his new creations. We thank the readers and we, we thank God for them. Now, if you don't know me, uh, many of you do, I believe, but if you don't, um, my name is Josiah Stevens and I am uh, the worship ministry lead here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm also one of five lay elders and uh, have the privilege of, of serving this church and uh, I very occasionally uh, have the opportunity to preach, and it's been a while. So, uh, happy to be here today. Now, we're going to just do a quick recap of where we've been. We're journeying through the the story of the life of David in the book of First and Second Samuel. So, after f- about 15 years uh, from the time he was anointed, David's been waiting uh, for this day, um, to be crowned king, and and we covered that last week. That though he was king of Judah for seven and a half years, he is now king of all Israel. The whole nation of Israel is united now again under one king. Now many of these years that Saul, or I'm sorry, that uh, David was waiting, uh, they weren't pleasant years of waiting. He wasn't uh, sitting in his home and going about his chores and just waiting to be called. Um, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of running, a lot of hiding, uh, a lot of not being able to be with his family and the people that he loved. But in the midst of all these years uh, of unrest, we see that David has a faith in Yahweh. We see evidence of this faith as David trusts in Yahweh to provide victory in battle. We saw that with his, uh, the way he slew Goliath and the many victories he had afterward. God provided direction when the way forward was unclear. David perpetually sought the Lord. David trusted Yahweh to avenge injustice and to protect him from his enemies and to establish him as shepherd and prince over the people Israel. So now there is finally peace in Israel. All the tribes are united under David as their king. We saw last week that they recognized him for three things. One, he is bone and flesh. He is their family. He has also been very successful in battle, doing the very thing that the, Israelites people, the Israelite people wanted from a king, which was to lead them in and out of battle. And most importantly, above all other reasons, David was chosen by the Lord to be shepherd of his people Israel, and to be prince over all Israel. Now, also last week, we saw that there is a newly established stronghold in the nation of Israel. After over 300 years of being in the promised land and having the Jebusites occupy the top of this hill, David comes in and is able to conquer the Jebusite people taking the city of Jebus and making it the city of David, Jerusalem, the stronghold of Zion. Now, I want to get prepared this morning because though we just heard from 2 Samuel 6, we're also going to be looking at a parallel passage that is found in 1 Chronicles. So if you could, I'm not going to have all the scripture up on the screen. I just didn't have time to do that. I do have some pictures though, so that should be fun. So, mark yourself 2 Samuel 6, we'll be going there, and then also in 1 Chronicles, uh, we'll be looking at starting in chapter 12, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible with you, please look in the seat in front of you and the, the rack under the seat, there should be a Bible there, and uh, if you are going to use that Bible, um, as, um, as Jim mentioned, page 304. Um, and then hundred pages later, three or uh, four hundred four, um, and you'll have your two spots. If you don't own a Bible, and this has been said before, but we recently just purchased these uh, these new Bibles, um, with the goal of yes, of course, providing when you forget them. But also, if you don't own a Bible, please take this Bible, write your name in it, bring it home, and read it. It is yours. Now, there are two accounts, and these accounts are somewhat different. Um, for context, the book of 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, was written while the people were in exile. So, years after these things that we'll be reading today, the nation had divided once again, and they were in, in, in exile, and First and Second Samuel would have been written to the Israelite leaders of that day to keep the people repentant, to to look at what the consequences of covenant disobedience look like, to keep them humble, keep them repentant, well in exile. And then first Chronicles uh, is actually written after exile, and it is there to encourage the people to say, Hey, now that you are walking free and out of exile, this is what covenant living should look like, and these are the blessings of the Lord if you continue them. So different time periods uh, that people are reading these, in the end, the it's Israelite leadership, really, that these things were written to. They didn't have mass printing, and they didn't have mass education, and so there were a few people who got a copy that could actually read. Now, it's unclear which of these two books has a better chronological order. I really wish there was just a way we could definitively know these things, but there isn't. So, the Second Samuel passage in uh, Second Samuel six will pick up. It picks up after the defeat of the Philistines, which we kind of briefly mentioned last week. In First Chronicles, it comes on the heels of great celebration, and I tend to like that order uh, because actually First Chronicles puts that defeat of the Philistines in between the two legs of the Ark's journey in this story today. So let's begin. Uh, just. Mark your your Bibles at first Corinth first chronicles 12 38 through 40. And let's pray real quick. Father, would you open our minds and our, our ears, open our hearts to what you would have to say this morning? We know that you are the good gardener. you are always at work, you are always looking for us to yield to your hand. You're the good shepherd. You're always shepherding us. And so we trust that you are speaking to us this morning. May it be clear. May we hear things and see things and know you more than we do now. We desire to grow in that relationship with you. Bless the reading of your word, Father, as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So again, we're picking up the story where David is being crowned king over all of Israel. They've just been at civil war for the last seven and a half years. So David was king over Judah, the rest of the tribes of Israel, and the house of Saul are trying to hold on to that, and they're resisting uh, David as king. So they've been fighting each other, but now there's peace. So all these men, I'm sorry, all these men of war, A raid in battle came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking, for their brothers had made preparation for them. And also their relatives from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and on oxen, Abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins, and wine and oil, oxen and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. So we can picture this great celebration. I get tired of like one, like Thanksgiving, right? Like you have Thanksgiving, you're done. These guys went three days eating and drinking and celebrating. And probably when they finished up one thing, here comes another camel with more They just, they partied for three whole days. But, you know, we often, we celebrate a lot. It's a common occurrence in America to celebrate. Every time you turn around. If you have a big family, there's always a birthday. There's always a reason to go do something. These people, (laughs) wow, that's loud. Sorry about that. Um, These people are celebrating peace after war. Not only just peace after war, but peace after war with their own people. The depths of darkness that they experienced in the war and the bloodshed and the unrest in contrast with this new day where they are united as one nation. There's a lot more fuel in that celebration than our, most of our celebrations, right? And, and I think we all know when you're celebrating the birth of a child after the death of a loved one or the buying a new house if the last one was destroyed in some way, that contrast always makes the party a bit better. Now, David, after this party, the fog of three days of eating and drinking kind of lift off. And you can imagine he's, he's kind of coming back into, all right, we partied, we had a good time, but we've got to get down to the business of running the country. And as David considers where he has been, thinking about his journey to this place, you can imagine that for him there is one thing to do, the thing that he has done all along, which is to seek the Lord. And I think that in this uh, desire to seek the Lord personally, he also is looking for this to be something that the nation does, right? To reorient the nation around Yahweh. There's also a lot of practical advantages to that as well. Uh, because they did just come off of civil war, and I'm sure you don't forget everything. You know, you're going to run into somebody who probably had a hand in killing somebody you cared about, and so things are probably still a little bit sensitive. So there's a practical application here of, let's shift our focus away from war and to something that we um, we can all center ourselves around. But for David, Yahweh was a serious thing. It wasn't just a tool. In our time in this series, we have yet to encounter the ark of the Lord. And and this is the thing that, that David has come to his mind. And we wonder, with his shepherd boy upbringing and with his running around hiding from Saul it's very likely that he only knows of the Ark of the Lord by reputation. He knows that this is a thing that his people do, but he's probably not had any direct interaction with it. Um, And so he knows that they need it, but he doesn't know a lot about it. So we need to get oriented to what the Ark is, and we're going to do a little detour here. The Ark of the Lord, or the Ark of the Covenant, is essentially a box. It is a box that contains the covenant. On Mount Sinai, Moses is given the instructions on how to build this Ark. It's about four feet wide, about two feet tall, two feet deep. It has what's called a mercy seat on top of it, and uh, actually... I think, well, actually, I think the picture is out of order. So, before I get too descriptive on this ark, let's first talk about where the ark is. There we go. That was my first slide. All right, so on Mount Sinai, Moses is given the instructions on how to construct the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where God is earthly dwelling place of Yahweh. So, if they're in covenant relationship they're not only going to have him near, but they also have a place to interact with him, and they have rules about how to go about that. So within this tabernacle, we have the outer courtyard that goes around the whole thing. And then within that, we have... Uh, and then once you go into itself, which is compartmentalized of the holy place, And then once you go into the holy place, there's yet one more room to go in, and that is the holy of holies. And that is where the ark of the Lord is. The most holy things, the ark of the Lord is in the most holy place. So this is his design. There are priests who are to serve here. They have to do all sorts of things in order to be able to interact with each of these elements, and they do it in certain ways at certain times. But God has created a place for his people to meet with him. As God is giving this uh, description of the law and how they are to live in it, at the end of this, he ends up with two stone tablets written by the finger of God. And these contain the testimony, the covenant. And that is what is put into the ark. Now, there's a lot... layers and symbolism and we could go for a month talking about the ark and all of its uh, just what it is and then what it points to. But this is a good summary for today. So let's look at the ark. This is the ark. So as I said before, it's a box and inside it is kept the, the covenant. The stone tablets written by God's very finger. And this is Not only a place to hold the testimony as a practical, like where do we put the stone tablets? You put them in there. That's how you carry them around. But as we read in Exodus uh, 29, 42 through 43, this is also where God meets with his people. He says, I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle, and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. So this is practically where the covenant is held. It is also where the people meet with God. When God, his presence is manifested, it is manifested there. And they, uh, Moses speaks with him, and the people also uh, are able to meet from afar. Now, this tabernacle... Um, you flip back one more. So you can kind of see inside the epicenter is the Holy of Holies, and then it kind of goes out and it goes out. Well, not only was this uh, designed in this way inside, the people actually were told to camp around the tabernacle. So God is literally centering his people as they get up and move around on himself. There, all their camps are facing. Uh, facing the tabernacle. The temple, or the tabernacle, or the tent of meeting, all all the same things, um, are also intended to demonstrate the gravity of God's holiness. And because God's holiness is certain death for sinful man, he has uh, appointed priests. Now, Moses and Aaron are both sons of Levi, and they are appointed as priests, specifically Aaron and his, and his sons, to serve in the tabernacle. And just to demonstrate the holiness of God and the seriousness of this, we're going to um, I'll just read some from, Nova, uh, from numbers chapter four. And in verse 15, and I'll be going through 17 to 20. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary, that is, when they're ready to pack up and move and go to the next place. And all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that, the sons of Kohath, Kohath being a son of Levite, so specifically within the Levites, the, Kohaths, uh, the Kohathites are responsible for carrying uh, these elements, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. Now, in addition to not just touching, so don't touch, you'll die, But also, it goes on to say, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them. So here's how you make sure that the Kohathites don't die, that they may live and not die. And when they come near to the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden. But they shall not go in to look on the holy things, even for a moment, lest they die. So God's holiness is a serious thing. He is entering into covenant relationship with his people, but he's giving them ways to not die, to be able to have this relationship. Um, The purpose of this tabernacle and all of its elements, including the ark, is also uh, used to guide the people as they got up and they moved from place to place as they wandered in the wilderness god 's presence would settle, they would camp god 's presence would leave a cloud by day, fire by night, and they would set up wherever he settled. Um, and we also see examples after moses 's time when they actually go to enter the promised land that uh, Joshua has the Levites carry the ark into the river Jordan. And it stops up the river. There'd be no way for them to cross, but this is the way. Um, so God leads them into the promised land literally by giving them a way to cross this, this river. This is also where uh, God intends for the people to worship. Um, in Deuteronomy twelve five through 7, it says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes, to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So God is giving them a place, to worship him, he is giving them instructions to worship him, and we see what that worship is, to bring their tithes and their contributions, to bring their, their offerings um, before the Lord, and, and part of that process is to eat together and to enjoy his, uh, the fact that they are his people. Now, when you read, when I was reading that, um, you can't help but think about Jerusalem So God is now establishing a place where he is calling his people to come and to worship. But we also see in that a picture that points even further to New Jerusalem, uh, which is the church. There's a few other things that we need to understand about the tabernacle and the ark and all of its elements. Um, And one of them is also to judge the people. In Deuteronomy, it talks about at the end when Moses is about to die, he writes the whole law down in a book. He puts this book next to the ark, and he says, this book is here to be a witness against you because you've rebelled while I've been alive, and I know you're going to do that and much more while I'm gone, so this is here to judge you. We see all throughout Scripture that judgment is really the Lord's. right? If anybody's ever judging, they should be going to the Lord. To determine judgment, not making judgment of their own. Now, this should also remind us that the people of Israel, they desired to have a king, to be like other nations, to do what? One of the first things they said, to judge them. They already had a king. He was already judging them. Now, the second reason they wanted a king was to conquer their enemies, to lead them in and out of battle. The ark Was actually carried around Jericho every time until those walls came down. And those people didn't hit those walls with anything. That was the power of God. So he led them into battle and he gave them the battle. There's also the the opposite is also true um, where they chose to go to war without the ark, without waiting for the Lord. And so they went and they did it without him and they were defeated. So he led them in and out of battle. So why would they want a king to judge them and to lead them in and out of battle when they already had one who did that? And as we've been looking, so much more to give them a place of relationship and to meet with them, to have relationship with them. We want the blessing. We don't want to have to go through the covenant Relationship to get it, right? How, how do we get that without having to do this? The other nations seem to be doing it, so why not us? The tabernacle is also a place in the, in the ark, uh, especially to seek the Lord um, in their time in conquering in the promised land. Joshua uh, falls on his face before the ark when they have one failing in battle, and, and he's like, he just falls before the ark and is, is distraught. God, what have we done? Why have you not given uh, this, us this battle? For your name's sake, we, we look like fools. Why did we even come here? But he sought the Lord before the ark because he recognized uh, God's holiness. And the, the fact that he's able is a grace that God gives. He gives them a place to seek him. We see in other places as well where the people go to the ark when they need to know what to do. So they seek the Lord there. So that's just kind of a really try to uh, condense quickly talk about, and it's unfortunately not quick, uh, the, the tabernacle and the covenant worship that God had designed for his people. So now David wants to put this ark into use. Now, one thing that we see about David is that he was always seeking the Lord. He sought the Lord on many occasions. If you just search, David inquired of the Lord, it's like a bunch of times during his his running around and and trying to escape Saul. And at some point in his journeys, a priest comes to him who escaped uh, the, the destruction of the temple at Nob. He comes to David and he's got an ephod with him. And David kind of says, hey, I like that ephod. So when when he would want to seek the Lord, he would say, Abiathar, bring me the ephod. And he would have it with him as he sought the Lord. I think this shows us something a little bit about David. Number one, his, he's not quite educated, right, um, on the things of the temple, um, but that he also wants to be near Yahweh. And I think that that points to why he wants the ark brought to uh, Jerusalem. Um, Now, quickly, if we, let's see, slide number three, I think. Yep, here we are. Yep, now the priest. Yeah, there you go. So, just so we know what an ephod is, because it's going to come up later, and we don't use ephods in our daily life, right? So, the ephod is part of the priestly uh, garments, and it goes over top of the robe. So you see the blue robe underneath. And then you see the ephod over top. It's almost like an apron. Um, and then over top of that, there's a, a breast piece. But uh, this is the ephod. It's just a, kind of an outer layer that the priests would wear. But it was very specifically designed, given to Moses, instruction on Mount Sinai. Here's how to make an ephod. It's for the priests. So David has been using it. Um, One last thing about David's ignorance about the law and everything else, we saw also that at some point David runs into the priest at Nob and says, I'm hungry. And the priest is like, I don't have anything here but the holy bread. And David's like, I'm good with that. The holy bread was actually in the the holy place, so before the holy of holies, and that holy place is the bread of the presence, and the bread of the presence is specifically for the priests, So, David, again, doesn't really understand or know what these things are. So, 2 Samuel, can you believe we're now getting to 2 Samuel 6, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. So, this is after their party, he has this idea, let's get the ark, now he's gathering the people together. To continue that, because Second Samuel just immediately jumps into fetching the ark, First uh, Chronicles 13 gives us more detail. So, First Chronicles 13, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands." that they have may be gathered to us. Then let us bring the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So it wasn't just Saul saying, let's go. He actually gave an explanation. And I think the fact that he mentions, we did not seek it in the days of Saul, speaks to the fact that This was not common for the people of Israel at that time, right? It was out of practice. Uh, But it also shows that David desires that it return uh, to something that they do. There is only one mention of Saul ever seeking the ark, and he really views it more as a way of trying to figure out what's happening. Um, It is when uh, his son Jonathan goes off to fight the Philistines, and uh, they don't know what's happening. They don't know who's gone. They don't know where the battle is. So Saul says to the priest that there at the time, "Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at the time with the people of Israel. So at that time they were at least carrying it around." Now, while Paul, uh, Saul was seeking, I'm sorry, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, "Withdraw your hand." Then Saul and all the people who were with him, rallied and went into battle. So he's kind of just like, hey, check in, see what's going on. Oh, I figured it out. Never mind, I'm going. And there wasn't this sense of fear of the Lord, uh, of awe of him. We saw that on multiple other occasions where Saul did not fear the Lord. He made sacrifices that he shouldn't have made. He... um, Instead of destroying all of the Amalekites and devoting them to destruction, he kept some of it. And his idea was he was doing a good thing. He's like, God, I know I didn't listen to you, but I brought these great sacrifices. These are going to be the best we've had in a long time. And Samuel says, That's not what God isn't looking for a nice sacrifice. He's not looking for a choice piece of meat to be sacrificed. He's looking for you to listen to him. So we see the way Saul, in his attitude toward the ark, um, It affected the nation, I think, in that it was not common for them to seek, but it also um, affected, clearly we see, Saul, because the Lord rejected him. So back to 2 Samuel in verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of the Lord, or the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. So, the ark is, uh, is at the house of Abinadab. It's been, um, so so we talked about God giving them the design. They walked around with it. They entered the promised land with it. So they land in the promised land, and they're finally able to put the tabernacle somewhere without having to move it around a bunch because now they're in the promised land. So it sat at Shiloh, uh, the the tabernacle at Shiloh, for 350 years, a little over 350 years. Um, So the question is, how did it get from Shiloh to Abinadab? Just as Saul was not fearing the Lord and was not keeping covenant worship, so also before his time, the people of Israel were also not doing this. Um, The priests at the temple were profaning their position. They were taking the best of the sacrifices, sometimes before the sacrifice was even done. They were having relationships with the women that served at the, the gate. They were profaning their role. God would not have it. He brought an end to that. And in a battle, they lose the ark to the Philistines. I love the way God says, I won't be used for your purposes. Allows the Philistines to take the ark, and while the ark is with the Philistines, he defeats them from within. They get plagues of tumors and mice, and people are dying, and their temple god, Dagon, falls down on his face with, when the ark is in the room, and they put him back up, and the next morning he's, he's on his face again with his head and his hands missing. God defeats Israel's enemies from within their walls without Israel. They have to get rid of the ark. Philistines can't handle the ark being with them, so they send it to, back to the Israelites. The Israelites receive the ark on a new cart, pulled by some milk cows, and they're so excited. They break up the cart, they burn the, the milk cows as a, as a burn offering, but then they start getting curious and they start looking into the ark, and a whole bunch of people die as a result, and we saw God's holiness not to be looked at, right? So, God allows his people to be defeated, he goes into enemy territory, defeats the enemy, comes back to his people, and brings them to repentance, and the, that's where the ark is sitting at, uh, at Abinadab. Now, you notice that they, the Philistines, used a new cart. Clearly, Abinadab and his household heard about this and like, hey, modern, modern invention. Let's use a cart. We don't have to carry the thing because we've got to get it from here to Jerusalem. So, hence their decision to use the ark or to, to use the cart contrary to Mosaic law. So, Second Samuel five, and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand in the ark of God uh, to touch the ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he, did this, and he died there beside the ark of God. So we see the carelessness, the ignorance, they're, they're wanting to do a good thing. I think David is wanting to do a good thing, but they just are out of practice. They have not been living in covenant uh, worship and relationship with God. And as a result, um, we see a fatality here. And I think what we see in David's reaction is this is the first time David is going about his life where it seems as the the Lord's hand is against him. That kind of shakes him. He's, whoa, I I had this vision. I'm bringing the ark. It's going to be jubilant. We're going to worship the Lord again as we should. And this happens. But his anger quickly turns to fear because for David who fears Yahweh, it's not a question of It's not a question of God having done something wrong, right? He's not thinking, oh, the Lord is against me. Uh, This is no good. Um, He is thinking, "What, what have I done? And he recognizes that there is more here that he doesn't understand, the holiness of God that he doesn't understand. And that he also, to the point where he doesn't feel like he can even bring the ark to him. He is holy. I am not. I should not bring this to me, is his reaction. So he says, let's put it into the uh, the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. It sits there for three months, and Obed-Edom's house is, receives blessing as a result. Sorry. And I think if we just look at the... Uh, 2 Samuel account only, it could seem like David's kind of like, this is dangerous, I don't want this at my house, we'll leave it at at this guy's house. And then only when he learns, oh, you've been blessed? Oh, well, maybe this ark's not so bad. And he would go and get it. 2 Samuel doesn't address some of the things that 1 Chronicles does. So let's jump to 1 Chronicles 15. Starting in verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and we'll skip all the the names of the guys and how many there were, and said, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it, because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the Ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the Ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now David also commanded the chiefs and the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who would play loudly on musical instruments and on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. And uh, just because I like it, Verse twenty-two: Chenaniah, leader of the Levites in music, should direct the music, for he understood it. It's good to make sure that the guy that you're putting in charge of the music understands the music, right? Um, I just think it's funny that that's a a footnote. So we see that there's it's this isn't just David going uh, realizing that Obed Edom's getting all this blessing. I want this blessing, there's clearly something that happens between the first leg of the journey and the second leg of the journey. For David, this is an encounter with God that shakes him, but it is a God who has been faithful to him. So while he is afraid, while he has this fear of the Lord, he knows that he needs to seek the Lord. He knows that the problem is not with God, the problem is with him. There's actually a, a law for the kings of Israel, and, and we, it was mentioned in the very first uh, sermon in this series that uh, it's actually in, um, in Deuteronomy uh, 17, and it just says that when uh, he sits on the, upon the throne in his kingdom, the king, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levite, uh, Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn from the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So, David goes on a seeking mission. Why did did Uzzah die? Why did my plan fail? I need to understand what is happening here. And he gets himself an education, uh, likely at some point ends up with his very own copy of the book of the law. And we can see that in David's life, all throughout the Psalms, he talks about, uh, you know, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But he also wrote in Psalm 19, uh, 7 through 14 that the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes and the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey And drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. He clearly finds the law of the Lord and delights in it. He clearly learns what he needs to do and corrects his steps. In this, they're able to successfully move the ark this time. It doesn't happen all at once. So when we look at uh, 2 Samuel 6, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. So he, and actually the, uh, in Chronicles it says, because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the Lord, that he did this he recognizes that it is that he is entering into a task where God is holy and they are not and that it is God's mercy and grace that they're able to move these first six steps and he honors God by worshiping him um, with a sacrifice now first chronicles uh, 15 27 says that David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and the singers and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. So David and the Levites are wearing these robes. If we just read 2 Samuel, we would think, maybe, as some have done, that David was only wearing a linen ephod. And as we saw in the picture, if you're only wearing a linen ephod... You would there's a high degree of chance of a wardrobe malfunction, um, so David is not just wearing a linen ephod. Uh, First Chronicles gives us more information, and um, if you want, to yeah, so he's wearing the robe and and the ephod like the other priests. So back to Second Samuel six, fourteen. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of the Lord, or all of the house of Israel, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. We can just imagine that after the striking down of Uzzah as they pick up this task of moving the ark again, David is nervous. And he starts apprehensively, and then they get going. They get the six steps down, sigh of relief. And then he starts to lead the people in music. And and maybe it's not just, you know, uh, all at once. But his mind is flooded with, this is Yahweh. This is the Yahweh that chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And all that he has done in rescuing his people from Egypt and then me, as I was shepherding in the, in the field, he kept me when I needed to protect my father's sheep. He called me into my home from the field and said, I anoint you as king. And all of the things that follow, can you just imagine the flooding, the realization that this is really happening. I'm really leading the people of Israel with the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. That's the explosion of emotion, I think, that we see in David dancing with all his might. Worship is a response to God's revelation. And so God has revealed himself to David through his people and through his own life. And he's responding out of that. 2 Samuel 6, verse 16 As the ark of the Lord came into the city, uh, Michal, or Michael, the the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw David, the king, uh, King David, leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. We'll deal more with that uh, a little bit. Second Samuel goes from there to, um, to David and, and Michal having their little spat. But 1 Chronicles 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 4 says, so this is when they were, uh, had placed the ark in its tent. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord. The God of Israel, Asaph was the chief, and second to him Zechariah, so on and so forth, who were to play the harps and lyres, Asaph was to sound the cymbals. Um, they were to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day David first appointed the thanksgiving, that thanksgiving be sung be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. And then it goes into David's song of thanks. And I think just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through all this, but what we see as evidenced, and and I read actually the first few verses uh, as our call to worship this morning. Um, This is a man who is pouring out his heart in thanks to God. He is reinstituting covenant worship. And in this song, Uh, we see very clearly he is a man who fears the Lord. And so he institutes, reinstitutes worship before the Ark of the Lord. So after they have this ceremony, all the people departed, each to his house. So we're back in 2 Samuel 6, verse 20. And David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, I grew up in uh, a church uh, where, you know, we heard that, well, David danced naked before the Lord, so we, we can get a little crazy when we worship, Right? We were Pentecostals. What can I say? That's what they they used to encourage us all to get a little more expressive. But there's no textual evidence whatsoever that he actually was unclothed. He was wearing the robe of the priests. He put the ephod over top of this robe. There's a possibility that... um, Part of the priestly garb was underwear. Um, So God is actually telling Moses on Mount Sinai, make some underwear for the priests. Um, And that was to... uh, It actually says, when they go to the altar to minister in the holy place, um, that they wear these so that they're... uh, to cover their naked flesh, lest they bear guilt and die. So pretty serious pair of underwear. Um, So it's possible that maybe... In his ignorance, you know he's wearing an ephod. He's not a priest. Uh, maybe he also didn't know about this, and maybe he just was really dancing. Um, we don't really know. But the word in Hebrew uh, for uncovering is very possibly referring to the fact that he is. M- McCall has issue with the fact that he is behaving in an unkingly way, right? He is not handling himself with the proper decorum. I think it also helps to understand uh, the nature of David and McCall's relationship. It started in love when they were young, uh, but they were really never able to enjoy married life for very long uh, because David was uh, Saul's enemy, and so David was on the run, and McCall was trapped at home with her father, remaining loyal to him. In his absence, Saul gives her to some other guy, to another, gives her another husband, um, which, based on his description, is is no David. Uh, so maybe she was miffed about that. She's also, uh, when she is reunited to David, David's no longer, you know, David has multiple wives now, right? So she is not the love of his life as she was back when they met each other and they were young. Uh, now he has many wives. And she's also the daughter of a former king, and she's likely very w- well-versed in how a king is expected to dress and behave and, re- and retain the respect of the people. So with all of this, um, and, and one other thing, actually. So when McCall helps David escape uh, Saul... It says that she used an image. She put this image in a bed and put goat's hair on it and pillows and made it look like he was sick in bed. I love the fact that that's the first time anybody did that, or at least recorded. Uh, Pretend David's here, sick in bed. Uh, But this image that it refers to is a household god. So likely, likely um, allowing this type of worship of gods other than Yahweh. Um, and so, maybe for her seeing David's zeal for the Lord, she's on the precipice of, is my life just going to get tumultuous again? You're acting like a fool in front of these people. I'm going to lose you, whether it's, you know, for one reason or another, I'm always, already on the, uh, the verge uh, of losing you. Um, I've got all these other women to compete with now. Um, have we ever, have you ever had a family member or friend or maybe yourself, that when you're anxious about something, lash out in something that is uh, an insult or insensitive or an accusation, and it's kind of sensationalized. And they're really just trying to manage the fact that they're feeling not good about themselves. I I think this is what happens here in this interaction with McCall and David. And David responds to her. And says, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And because the daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. Taking that last verse first, I don't think uh, we have enough information to say that God punished Michal. I think the the important point, the reason it's included here, is to say that the house of Saul is dwindling. There is no more descendants. David swore to Saul that he would not cut off his name from the people, but um, and, and so David is not doing this. It's not by his hand that he, he is uh, cutting off the line of Saul. Um, So I think that that's the the relevance to that piece of it, but the larger point of that piece of text is that David uh, makes clear that his heart is set on worshiping the Lord, and for good reason. The Lord has delivered David uh, to his appointed place as king, and it was by the hand of Yahweh alone. I think he also says, if doing this, if worshiping God in this way is foolish to you, then Get used to it, because I am going to continue to worship the Lord in this way. So we see, David, this morning, uh, the the title of the sermon. And and by the way, um, the the title of the sermon is not a title that I picked. uh, Though I do lead the worship here, I actually didn't choose the title of this. And it was chosen before Fletch even knew that I would be preaching. He just laid it out that way, and then it happened to be that I'm preaching today. Um, But we see David as the worship leader this morning, not because he danced with with all his might, although that is an expression of worship to God. And it's not because he wrote a song, though that is an expression of worship to God. And it's not because he followed the letter of the law when it came to covenant worship. I think that was clear that he didn't do that. But it's because he began his reign as king by loving the Lord his God, with all that he had and all that he knew, and he led the people to do the same. David fears the Lord. David is leading the people back to life of covenant worship. Israel wanted a king to be like the other nations, but God wanted to set them apart. In Deuteronomy, it says, for you are a chosen people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord is Your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It's very clear that God wanted to make them different, though they wanted to assimilate to the nations. Now, where David led the nation to go and get the ark that they might again center themselves on Yahweh, Christ takes everything to a glorious new level. The ark was actually lost at some point in one of the attacks of the temple and never be found again. In Christ's life and in his death, he fulfills the law of the first covenant, that old covenant, the Old Testament, that was contained within the ark, which would have been kept in the Holy of Holies. And upon Christ's death, a physical reality points to a greater spiritual reality when the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom Christ's saving fulfillment gives all who place their faith in him robes of righteousness that they may enter his temple permanently consecrated and worship more than Christ making us at the more than Christ making us at peace with the old covenant a new and better covenant is made Christ fulfills the words of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Old Testament. Christ fulfilled it and he put his new covenant in us, and we now carry this New Testament. The church is the way that God is reconciling all the world to himself, and we have within us his word to do this because it is only by his word that it will be done. And that leads us to a life of worship. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are so vast. You are more than we can get our arms around on a Sunday morning. And for that, we are thankful, and that you continually allow us to seek your face. We thank you that you have placed your law within us. And we pray that as we live, as we go out into all nations making disciples that your gospel would be on our lips. You have done a work that we could not do, and we want to live a life of worship in response. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.